0: hi brian nice to meet you. <laughs> hey i love i love the stuff you do on instagram those little uh, videos of advice and opinion um wonderful stuff i love watching it you know like the the trouble with instagram is that so i can't sometimes i can't scrub you know i can't go back and forth like listen to something again without having <laughs> to go through the whole thing so I hope that we can right. catch some some of your wisdom uh today.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about whatever you like and I'm glad that you enjoy those. You know, those are as much uh my daily therapy as anything and if they help people that's fantastic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you you think like just just getting stuff out of your system just verbalizing it is sort of therapy for you?
1: Well yeah, I mean it's 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 helpful for me sometimes to verbalize an idea. And I've found that those ideas can be good for other people. I, I sort of pride myself on being able to make complex things or emotional things into very kind of nice packages of information that are digestible. So it's good practice for me to do it on one hand. On the other hand, it's good for me to like share. You know, if I have a, an experience in a certain week with a client or with myself or whatever, it, it's it's usually a good thing for other people. You know, so it's a kind of a win-win, and uh, it's it's good. I'm glad you enjoyed.
0: Mm-hmm. I hear you. I mean, what you just described is a little bit like, uh, um, even like making art for me. So, the, like, whenever I run into a situation, like something that I either enjoy or don't enjoy. Uh, there's, there's always reason to believe that somebody else has similar experiences. That's, and, yeah, and that, I, it, that motivate, think, motivates me. Yeah.
1: Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where my motivation lies in that. I think, I guess for me, elevating the conversation is a motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of conversation in the world. Uh, whether it be you know music making or the world at large and so I do get frustrated sometimes with the feeling like the conversation could be elevated a bit and so I try to do that in simple in simple language um yeah I think I think artists innately want to be understood I think being understood or being misunderstood is a key component that is sort of puts people in an artist category, not, not, not dogmatically. I don't know that that's everybody, but I, I think some people maybe don't care too much, but, but there is, there is some piece of wanting to be understood. I think at mm-hmm. the heart of all artists, whether we admit it or not, you know,
0: mm-hmm. we, yeah. We, so do, do, you, do you have any idea what that really entails to be understood? I mean, on, on which side? of the communication, is it really, um, happening?
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure it's something you can always track, right? I'm not sure <laughs> it's a, a, uh, I'm not sure it's verifiable science. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure my idea would necessarily apply to everyone, but in my experience, even people who let's, let's do music as opposed to life, cause that's simpler. Um, even even if you make let's say a more obscure music that's not popular music um it, there's there's a component of of wanting that thing to be heard in the way it was intended you know and it doesn't mean millions of people it just means that the intention was received mm-hmm. i think there's a valid there's a there's a value in that you know, that the intention is received. Uh now, of course, some people skew their intentions to mass, you know, mass market or or mass popularity, which is an interesting cocktail of of, of which I made a video about is sort of music that is somewhat familiar or quite a bit familiar, with a little bit of fresh. You know, if familiar and fresh is the polarity there, uh popularity lies on the side of more familiar. Um, and so people may skew their intention more towards the familiar. And that's for other reasons, which are, you know, personal and different, but there's still this thing of wanting to be understood, wanting, wanting to be heard, wanting to be seen. And I think it's a very human thing of want- wanting to be seen. And when I was younger, I thought, oh no, that doesn't apply to me. You know, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't need that, you know, and I think that's bullshit. I think everybody needs everybody needs to be seen I think the difference the difference is in how how much we care of what the what the size of that audience may be mm-hmm. and maybe the quality the quality of the audience may take precedence over the quantity of the audience and mm-hmm. and and that's 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 an interesting continuum between the mm-hmm. the qual- quality of listening and the quantity of the listener
0: you know so in, in the um, process of music production, your, um, your role as the mastering engineer certainly has a big uh, role in contributing to that aim to make um, the intention sort of like translate to the audience, right? Is that also how you see see your role there? Or is that, uh, is that just a side yeah, effect yeah. of what you're doing?
1: No, that, that that's how I see the role. I mean, I guess if I think about my own... You know, if I think about my own PR, if you will, I, 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 what I've said for years is the, my intention is to enhance the connection with the inherent core audience that's going to be there no matter what. And, and then also to expand that connection to the largest possible audience, which is a whole different matter. You know, um, like when I did, when I did, um, a Marilyn Manson record called The Pale Emperor it was in 2014 I believe and it was a very different Manson record than I'd ever heard done by Tyler Bates who's a film composer he does like Guardians of the Galaxy type stuff and mm-hmm. and he and Manson did it just the two of them so it was a very different thing it was almost like singer-songwriter Manson they, they would sit down each day talk through the music Tyler would sit at his composer desk and you know type up some things as they would talk and Tyler would work up this composition based on their conversation. And then he'd give it to him and say, OK, here, make your lyrics to this. And so it was a very kind of an intimate record. It's a very mid tempo rock record. There's a lot of space in it. It's not particularly noisy. Anyway, I say that all that I say all of that to to lead to the idea that w- the first track was so compelling that I would someone would come by the studio and I'd say, oh, what are you working on? I said, "Oh, I just finished this Manson record and they, they would kind of scoff. In some cases like well i don't really like manson i said i i bet you're gonna like this record and within you know f- inevitably within five seconds of that first track they were just hooked they were like oh i'm a Marilyn manson fan you know <laughs> like that's that's all it took all, all of their prejudice about it in five seconds was won over and that made me happy you know or or there was a i did a lucinda williams record and greg lease who's a who's a very experienced, very well known session player who's played with uh, tons of people in and around LA for decades, um, toured the world, pedal steel guitar, this sort of stuff. Greg called me after I started doing the record. It was the first one he did for her. I think I've done three, and and we were on the phone, and he said, uh, he, he said. You know i want to talk about it he wanted to analyze basically he wanted to analyze and he wanted to know what i was thinking and it was it was a it was a flattering conversation because he, he was picking my brain like how are you doing this kind of questions or what's going on here he just wanted to get to know me but but one thing he said that was funny was he said you know and he didn't mean it to be sexist in any way he he loves lucinda he's very respectful but he said he said well you know we went we went into a studio in nashville to listen to what you sent and it was three songs and Um, and this was to decide if I was going to do the record. Okay. So I do these three songs for the producer, um, uh, David Bianco, who sadly has passed away. Anyway, they're in the studio. He said, Lucinda listen for like five, 10 seconds of each one. She's like, yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Okay. And she's out the door. And for him being more analytical or, you know, his process, he was like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And I said to him, I said, well, I said, "I, I said, Greg, that's, that's actually the gig, you know, that's, that's, that makes me happy because if that's happening for you and that's happening for her with her experience that she's having a comprehensive analysis in five to 10 seconds, I've done my job, you know? So there's, so there's an element of that immediacy with mastering and the connection there. And there's also the timelessness of it that I, I want people to listen to records I do in twenty years and think it just sounds as fresh and great then as it did when they first heard it. So I'm I'm always working in these two worlds of immediacy, and and timelessness. You know, my, my take on what is timeless music.
0: Incredible. So that's that's sort of like uh, an equivalent of the, you know, the fresh and the film familiar. That you yes, mentioned before. It's kind of a different
1: medium yeah, for I, that, I You know. Right? i'm i'm big on balances you know we we live we live in our brains and we live in a world where where there's a lot of polarizing ideas there's a lot of up and down left and right us and them republican democrat in the, here in the u.s you know all these kind of things the good and evil all this kind of stuff i i'm big on balancing polarities you know i think that what's good about art and what's good about music lies you know kind of in the middle of all those things you know
0: there's a yeah, you're, you're uh, preaching to the choir, because that's exactly what I believe, you know, that the good stuff lies in the middle. And it's almost like even like if I'm coming from the uh, hypnotherapy part, for example, that's exactly how it works. You present something very familiar, and then you present a surprise, and that creates a short trance. And when that trance happens, which I see as sort of oscillating between familiar and fresh, like if you hit that middle a door opens and something can happen, you know. So I'm very yes. familiar with your thinking there. Um, but I, I liked, I really liked very much that you said, okay, so there, but there are certain like art forms that go more in that direction and some that go more in that direction. And um, and so you have you have a background of like loving music in general, I guess, <laughs> just like most of us musicians, yes. right? <laughs> and... Uh, yes and and a um like well, lot's of experience as a listener as a fan and you you sort of like have ways to just say intuitively respond to music i guess so i i'm wondering if you're still coming across situations where what you're working with is unfamiliar to you
1: yeah i mean i uh, the way the way that i see it um you know, I have listened to a lot of music. I feel fortunate to be of the era that I'm from because there was, you know, before the internet and the, you know digitization of everything, the democratization of music, there, there was a sense like in the 70s, 60s, I was born in the late 60s. In the 70s and 80s, there was a sense where you could actually, as a musician, it was kind of your job to comprehend a vast quantity of music. So you almost had a sense of everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So whether it was listening to, you know, the entire Miles Davis Columbia remastered collection on vinyl, which I did when I was young and spent all my money and, or, or listening to the whole blues catalog, going back to Robert Johnson all the way through at the time would have been, let's say Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and Jeff Beck and, and all the, all the white British artists and, and and in the in the pop world there was there was this all this other stuff like there was a time where you actually could almost listen to everything now today that is just long gone and and for me that 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 early those early decades of listening is kind of a my frame of reference that is a frame of reference that I think I'm compassionate to younger people because I think it's very difficult to have that now now it's just so overwhelming. There's a million songs a day populating the internet. And to have a frame of reference is difficult. So to answer your question, you know, every project is new to me. Um if I'm in a judgmental place, I don't work. You know, if, if I sit down and I'm like, uh, this sucks or I don't care or whatever, I just don't work. I, it's I'm not serving anyone from that mindset. So I make a point to not work in that mindset. I'm working in the mindset that um, no matter what it is, it is fresh. It is new. It carries the intention of these people. These people love this thing. They consider this to be ready for mastering. They're excited. So then I'm looking to this kind of sphere in my mind of what I consider the recorded history of music. It's kind of an XYZ. (laughs) It's an XYZ thing. Uh, there's frequencies and there's uh, transients and there's compression and there's style and there's all this stuff, and I'm thinking, okay, so what what did they intend here and where does it go, within this sphere, and then what can I do to enhance, what's good about this? There's always something good about everything, you know, like like you can find something to like, in just about a- almost all music if you make the effort. Now that's not a musician mindset. know the musician mindset is more about like and dislike it's like we resonate with these things and we go that direction and we don't resonate with these things and we don't go that direction and i think that's appropriate for a musician um but from my and i used to be that way i was i was very much a musician like i'm going to be a musician forever but there was a transition that happened where i started to listen with the intent to find something to like which is a different intent completely and then when I would find something to like, which is what I do in the studio, when I find something that I feel is the is the good stuff within the thing, then I'm enhancing that thing as a focus for the rest of it, you know. So to me, it is um, it, it's it, it is always fresh, um, you know, cynically, you know, to, to joke about it. I, I, I mean, I sort of joke I I don't like everything I work on. That's why I can make it better. You know, I mean, that's that's the cynical joke of it, right? I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, but I actually, I actually don't work from cynicism. I work from respecting the intention and trying to enhance the intention of the people who sent it to me. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that's my responsibility. Um, so, you know, that's sort of, I just kind of gave you both sides of the polarity. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so do people communicate their intention to you or is that something that, um, you're sometimes being, being left alone with just,
1: I am, I'm always happy to listen to what anyone has to say, whether it be, you know, they type something out like project I got today and it's a 12 song record and. You know, we, we don't want too much high end, too much low end, we want natural, we want this, that, you know, but people people's way of describing music is kind of an art form, you know, understanding <laughs> what they mean is its own, that's its own skill set, you know, that I've, I've I continued to learn over time how to do better. Um, so I'm always happen, happy to listen to that. And if people want to send refs, which some people do, not as much now as 20 years ago, but you know i'm open to whatever people want to give me but the way i work the way i've always worked and the way that i've discovered is the right way to work meaning when i don't do this it doesn't go well is to just do what i believe to be correct in this given moment which could be different from day to day i'm not a robot and then from there you know it's like it's just a sculpture if you don't like that or you like it but you wish it was a little different I can tweak it. So for me, the gig is, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to have found a profession which sort of dovetails with a passion, which is very flexible for me. So I'm, I'm very open to input. And then I'm just going to look at that. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't. It's always somewhat of a factor. It never gets in the way. And then I'm just going to do whatever. And then I can tweak it. And that's how it works. You know, it's, it's never the same process. Every record is different, but they, they run in patterns like anything in life, you know?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like the, with what you're doing, the, the details matter very much as well as the big picture, as far as I understand, right? And when I say details, I don't necessarily mean the details. Uh, well, obviously, also within the music, but also on the technical side. Right? I mean, like I visited your room there, and um just the um attention to detail is uh is overwhelming even for somebody like me <laughs> you know but i yeah I, I well see. I, I yeah no go, go ahead sorry no, no 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 that's that's just my my input here like let me know what tell me what you think about
1: yeah um, i mean yeah i mean my my um you know i i just have a, i have an interesting fortunate background i guess that lends itself to this gig you know i grew up with um very analytical stepfather he's still alive um and two very creative parents my mom being uh interior designer so she's right brain left brain all the time it's like interior design is is similar to mastering it's you're not actually creating the furniture you're not designing the house but you're enhancing everything by pulling it all together and there's measurement involved and there's aesthetics involved. And so I grew up very close with her. Then my stepdad was very analytical. He had like a Macintosh system, you know, like from the sixties with a Seaberg unit with a, a dial up telephone, uh, you know, thing for the LPs. And so this kind of high quality for the era stuff. Um, And then this, this kind of professional artist thing with my mom. And so and then i and then my my actual father was more of a what people would think of as a stereotypical artist like didn't know how to use his phone barely never changed the oil in his car you know was was like very creative guy but not very worldly guy so i had like these two men one was very not creative and very technical one was very very creative and not technical and then in between was my mom who kind of did both and i was closest to her and um and so I think of mastering as a very much a right brain, left brain activity at the same time. Again, the balance thing. Mm -hmm. Um, My part in it is, you know, maybe 51% creative and 49% technical, uh, but somewhere in the middle there. Um, In terms of what you're saying, in terms of being at the studio... You know, I just I I I have um you know again my parents and the lineage of my family or whatever that may be uh being around acoustic instruments my whole life, you know, like you were here, I have a grand piano, I have snare drum, I have acoustic guitars, I have I have real instruments. So my reference for music is real instruments. Mm-hmm. And real instruments as a reference makes you have pretty high standards for the studio because studios don't ever actually create a real thing Mm -hmm. uh but they can they can do something that's very compelling if you have real instruments as a frame of reference so i don't like i don't agree with the audiophile thing that us you know stereos are here to create the you know the acoustic reality of music like that to me is ridiculous it's not going to happen but I do use the acoustic reality of music as a frame of reference. So my needs for sound quality are quite high, you know? Um, And, and I think every mastering engineer would, would, would say that, you know, we all have our different tastes, but that's, that's part of the gig. You know, we all have kind of a very, uh, you know, as you say, detailed or maybe high standard. I think my, my situation differs from other people that I'm, more of an artist in this field than most people it tends to attract more perfectionistic people where they may be focused on uh, certain details that I would sort of wash over with musicality you know I think mm-hmm. I think if something is musical, the musicality of something carries the day over a number of other details that other people might get caught up in like something like um, technical concerns like um, you know true peak for example. True peak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I I do not care at all about True Peak. I've never had any experience where something being over True Peak caused actual distortion. And that's like, you know, so Luff's Luff's measurements, for example, that's a big that's a big thing that gets a lot of people's attention. And it's so not important to me. And I've never seen it be important, you know. I mean, I could I could send back a song if you sent me a track. That is, you know, f- three or four versions at the same measurement that sound remarkably different. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just that's just not an important feature. So there are details like that that I think are irrelevant. That a lot of people get caught up in. I'm more interested in the you know, the enhancing the the magic of music, the thing that's the connection between human beings and 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 because, like I said, of the right brain, left brain, and the frame of reference with acoustic instruments yes that does lead to some pretty esoteric equipment choices and you know I, I mean i've helped uh i've helped people make d to a converters uh just by you know giving them ideas and listening the the Bricasti people make a nice d to a it's the uh, m1 se i use it here and you know just anecdotally it was on the market four years and i heard a thing with it when i got it and i said hey i hear this thing and it was sort of like a shifting low end i thought felt, felt like i was on a boat kind of feeling queasy i couldn't couldn't zone in on the on the on the low end and bricasti is uh they won't mind me telling the story brian casey tim bricasti tim's gone so it's brian and casey these are ex lexicon guys so the bricasti m7 reverb is literally like what they always wanted to do at lexicon but they didn't have the the comp- computing power they didn't have the chips um so i've known those guys since 2002 when they came out with the m7 anyway this M1 to a had been on the market for years. They sent me three of them um, and I was playing with them and I heard this floaty thing and they said, oh, Brian, well, you're hearing the thing we thought no one would ever hear and i said okay so i'm not crazy because i'm thinking i'm crazy right like like every time i hit play on the same file the low end sounds different that's not possible right Mm -hmm. and they said well you're hearing brian like he said you know we AB'd every component of that thing and we you know we did a fuse versus a circuit breaker we did a digital power supply for the digital section and an analog power supply for the digital section. And they went with analog. Like they AB'd every component except the first decision they made. They never came back to it. And that's what I was hearing. The first decision they made was to resolve jitter in the time domain instead of the amplitude domain. It's normally resolved. Jitter, for those of you who don't know, is let's just call it uh, noise or distortion introduced down a digital signal due to the way things interact let's put it like that so this this very subtle noise is normally resolved in the amplitude domain meaning that the amplitude of a given sample or two might be different (laughs) but that keeps the timing locked the timing stays locked and their brian brian casey timber cassidy their brian was very sensitive to that kind of jitter resolution which is very normal uh, to, to do and he was sensitive to that he said no we're gonna do it different so their 4401 was 44.1001 for like 20 seconds so they were actually resolving jitter in the time domain mm-hmm. so I was hearing like ten thousandths of a second of phase shift the low end was different every time you know mm-hmm. uh so you know, things things like that you know um there is a lot of there is a lot of that but but that stuff is that's just the homework. And when it comes to I mean, it, you I have mean, to be
0: you, musical. You you really I, I think there's two things that I learned. Like you need to know yourself very well if you if you want to make statements like that or measurements like that. And also, I mean, like on a more basic level, you need to know what to listen out for, even. Like, you know, like if you're talking about, okay, this is unstable or this, you know, like that's that's something. I remember like the first time I actually went into a professional mastering studio with, with, uh, with Simon Hayworth. Uh, it was Chop Him Out Mastering in London, 2001, I think I was there. Um, and, and he like demonstrated stuff to me that I like like dithering, like, you know, pushing the button. I right. said, Mar- Marcus, listen to the very end of the reverb tale. Like you can hear it there. You don't hear it anywhere else. You hear it there. And like pointing out these things that I, you know, need to pay attention to. And uh, I really have, like, I haven't really learned more than that in the last 20 years. But just saying, uh, you know, so, 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 like, what's, what's your, what was the path for you to really get this deep into that side of, of the production process?
1: Um, it it was really a a sort of, uh, exploration by necessity. Um, you know, in the nineties, I studied with Robert Fripp and guitar craft for seven years. And before that, I had been a professional guitarist in New York city, kind of playing, playing covers and classic rock and this kind of stuff and singing some. And, and I, I, in the nineties, I thought I would be a musician forever. And, and I was good with that. um, I didn't make a lot of money, I didn't care. I was enjoying life and there was a path there and it was it was going well. And around 94 I got frustrated with the recordings that I was able to afford. You know, I don't know what people pay these days, but it may sadly be not much different, but it was like 50 bucks an hour. And um I just I hated the recordings. Um I loved the idea of being in a studio because I I I was really one night I was doing like a I was doing an overdub and I was by myself in the main room and I had you know my guitar rig there and the two amps behind me and microphones and all this stuff. And I was I had this moment where I saw that the what was happening with my hands was was turning into electricity and going through the wall and going into the other room and and all of I, I saw this whole pattern and cycle of how music is made sort of firsthand. and I, I was very enamored by that. I thought, wow, this is a miraculous thing. You know, this is so cool. Uh, But then i listened back to the product and I thought, oh, this sucks. You know, (laughs) I I don't like this. So in 94, I had a a decision. I'm either never going to record again or I'm going to figure out how to do it. And that was a real decision. It wasn't I'm not saying that like in a hyperbolic way. I was like, well, you know, I don't have to record, you know, or I can do it. So at the time, I owned a very, very inexpensive home this number will shock people it was 56000 dollars um it was almost destroyed when i bought it it was almost like they were going to tear it down anyway that allowed me to have some credit where i could buy some stuff and i bought like a 35000 dollars worth of stuff which sounds like a lot when the home is 56 so i did loans that they don't let you do in america anymore um but you know i i bought like eight ads and some hardware and that didn't sound good. And so it just kept going. I just, once, once I went down the road of, I'm going to learn how to do this. And and so I'm self-taught as a tracking engineer and as a mixing engineer. And then by 99, I was pretty happy with what I was doing. The equipment had been upgraded a lot. There was a big pile of debt, which eventually got paid off when I sold that house and made like 70 grand, which covered the debt. But, um, so that was good. Um, but I had eventually had like, you know, two inch tape machines, and you know tube tech hardware and purple 76 and dbx 160 and nice preamps and decent monitoring um and i had i had gotten to be decent at the craft of it on that side of tracking and mixing and working with friends and my own music and then mastering came up and i was like uh yeah what's that i don't know you know i i just had no idea so i had already self-taught in the one way and i said well let's self-taught and you know let's self-teach in this way and i just jumped into it and it was the same pattern you know it was like just starting out like the first thing i that i ever did was like the, there used to be this tc finalizer which was sort of the equivalent of of today like ozone you know it sort of did everything
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and um And at first, I was real enamored by that. And then again, I heard it. I was like, oh, this this doesn't sound good. So at that moment, I made the decision to only get, only listen to and only work at the highest level. So I started to collect and play with $3,000 and $5,000 and $7,000 boxes and play with them like foot pedals, basically. They became very Mm -hmm. expensive foot pedals. And it wasn't just the box, but it was the palette. It was the interaction of the boxes. And then, and, and eventually by 2004, I came up with the chain, which basically is the same chain I have now. I've made very few changes, um, since 2004, five, six, seven, somewhere in that range. And I, I basically found a chain that works for everything. And, um, I've upgraded monitoring and D to A conversion over the, you know, 20 years or 18 years, whatever it's been. But the chain I found was like, okay, this is this is the chain. You know, I grew up listening to vinyl and, uh, you know, tape machines, transformers. But yet, you know, I, I like the full range that, that digital gives you. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it's sort of a best of both worlds approach that I have. I, I think there's good things with digital uh there's good things with uh, tubes and tape and transformers i mean i don't use tape anymore but i used to i used to have a tape machine in here <laughs> atr 102 really nice um but yeah it just it kind of evolved from that moment of of i'm either going to learn how to do this or never do it again to the moment of what's mastering and then at that point i stopped messing with cheap gear and and it, and it really makes sense because if you buy hardware that's nice you, you never lose money You know, you might sell it for a little less than you paid for it, or you might break even, you might sell it for more than you paid for it, but the the time that you have with a good hardware is always worth the investment. And the the opposite can't be said, you know, being cheap with hardware just doesn't make sense. Um, And so I started not being cheap with hardware in the late 90s and and, and then eventually found this palette. you know, this collection of very nice foot pedals (laughs) Uh, which is my mastering chain. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's basically how that went down.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, well, you actually uh, recommended a a pedal to me. (laughs) I got it and I love it. And you're absolutely right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great pedal. Well, that's an interesting thing because my mom passed away last year, as I told you. And so I decided to play guitar again. I haven't really played much music at all in the last decade. And, uh, and yeah, I went on a, a spending spree of the new pedals of which the world is full of thousands of interesting pedals. And I found that one just by going to, it. you know, turns out LA, I lived here a decade. I didn't know there's all these guitar stores. So I go to these music shops and just try every pedal they have, you know, and I'm a, I'm a quick, I'm a quick student. I mean, it could take me 30 seconds, 10 seconds, two minutes. I'm like, next, next, next. But I try them all. You know, I think. That's the analytical part of my brain. It's like I go in there like I'm gonna try them all not I'm not gonna skip a single one you know like that you've got to go down the rabbit hole all the way you know uh like Greg Wells gave me a lovely a producer multi-instrumentalist Greg Wells a wonderful guy he gave me a really nice compliment when I saw him recently uh, we were talking to some client of his and 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 he said, you know Brian goes down every rabbit hole like really far and then he paused and he's like actually he's the rabbit. <laughs> and I said, I love that. Thank you. That is, that is the best compliment of all time. I will take that. So, so down the rabbit hole of foot pedals, you know, I found that, that little compressor pedal. Um, I guess we can tell, we can tell people, um, cause we've, we've each purchased one, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cause we will sell out at some point, but it's a uh, Effectrode is the company and it's the Effectrode. uh, uh, tube compressor there's no transform it's like an LA2A no transformer and it's just a well you you say what it is it's a beautiful thing
0: it's it's a beautiful thing you you can use it to just color the signal to sound better and as i think like you put it uh, you know it sounds like a record and i i absolutely agree yeah. that's what it does to any signal uh that any, i've tried any
1: literally yeah yeah you yeah. put something through it and it goes from sounding like somebody noodling in a room to like that's a record yes that's it's kind incredible. of an amazing thing it's yeah. an incredible thing yeah,
0: yeah. it's an incredible and i use it also for for um, touch touch guitar bass recordings now like just like the low end and i use pretty severe compression uh and still i mean it sounds amazing it really does and you it's could. it's well it's, i'm it's, glad yeah Yeah, it's and and you know, like the thing is, like I'm not analytical to the extent where I'm kind of like really interested in what's happening. For me, it's about the immediacy of the of the let's say emotional or even like physical response of playing with that device or a device, you know, any kind. Right. And that's that's also yeah. like the interesting thing for you. Maybe like, I guess you know that I developed my own guitar after the war guitar like or, and I right. haven't played the stick before that. And so like people ask me, like, what is different? I mean, come on, play it. You'll 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 feel the difference. I mean, I can tell you about it, but that's not right. what it's a, well, that's not what it's about is you, you've got to you know, got to use it. you got to play it in order to make that have that experience. What is the difference? Right. Yeah, and yeah the, I
1: mean, yeah. my 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 friend John Miller's a composer. We talk about this a lot. That the equipment should m- inspire you to use it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the, the equipment should make you feel like you want to play. I mean, like you know, like people have said for decades. You know, there's a there's a there's a song in every guitar. Mm-hmm. You know every good guitar every not every guitar let me rephrase every good guitar you know you you go to a, you go to a guitar store and you pick up a few and you're just like you know you when you when you grab a good guitar there's a song in there you know like um and and the, and the pedals is you know the same equipment i have here it's the same It 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 should give you something you know when i run stuff through my chain before i've done anything it's sounding better because that's my standard and has been for you know A long time it's like that compressor it's like that compressor it's a it's a gives everything a little sonic blessing where it's like oh well that just elevated the quality of this thing and it's interesting because you know i was i was i was thinking um i was thinking a few minutes ago before we did this about an old thing that robert used to say sound pattern quality and it's interesting how the quality of a device can impact everything else so positively or negatively. You know, mm-hmm. and that and that's kind of my that's kind of my specialty is like the quality of devices and how that impacts how everything else works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a, it's an interesting thing. I mean if if Pink Floyd and you know if, if the Benson Echorek didn't exist, you know, we wouldn't have so much music from a certain era you know, the Benson is like, it's there, mm-hmm. you know, 1176s, you know, distressors since the nineties, like these things become part of the palette of creativity, you know, if they're
0: good. Exactly. Exactly. And like, like I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, however, like in my world, just in my practical world, the way that it, uh, unfolded, you know, over the last 30 years is that, um, oh. It was very inspirational sometimes to sort of like to have having to deal with the Boss GT5, for example, as one of my first right. pedals, right? And finding finding a, a sound world that works within that, and then like the way that I did it for myself was I sort of like uh, accepted that as a truth, like this is what I can work with at that point, right? And and I was but I was always taking it very seriously what was coming out of that. Even though I knew it was not, it could have been better, you know. But for my personal right. for career as a musician, as an artist, it was important to never get, like, dragged down by the fact that I had to work within what was possible. And then, like, I gave you right. this example of seeing Simon Hayworth in 2001. That was a record that was recorded, like, on a very, very deep, um four-channel tra- four audio card. Um Right. And, but I still I wanted to go into a proper studio. So I, I always kind of like started in, in, you know, like using more and more resources, um, like that were external, like things that I couldn't afford that I could rent, etc. And sort of like building it from that. And so what I'm trying to say is like, I'm still enjoying, like going back to some of those old sounds, but using them in a completely different and new and, and, and sort of like a higher quality context if you know yeah yeah it's it's yeah
1: the the limitation in in the case of of the boss you know that that limitation gives you know a certain pressure which you make it you make a sonic diamond out of it you're like this is these are the limitations i'm working with but but it's still your intentions you know it's still the ear you know the, the the thing today that's really challenging for a lot of people i and i see it quite a bit on the internet with, you know, questions people ask or, you know, people ask me questions, it's like going back to that concept of frame of reference. You know, if you don't have a frame of reference, if you don't know where you are, how, how can you move? You know, you know, like mm-hmm. Robert would say, aphorisms uh, begin where we are. You know, if, if you've got to begin where you are, well, if you don't know where you are, you can't do anything, you know? So frame of reference is like, okay, this is my, this is my pedal board, right? What can mm-hmm. I do with this? Now, if you're going to change your pedal board, you would have to have firstly fully exploited what you have, figured out everything cool about it, run it into the ground with understanding. And then you would build from that a frame of reference. You say, this is what I have, this is what works. And then if you're going to A-B that with something, then you say, well, but I wish it did a couple things. And then you try it and you say, well, is that worth the trade-off? And then this, this exercise of A-Bing, is a real skill set that again in this digital era i'm very compassionate to younger people who are just handed like here's like 150 plugins and here's a daw and you've never used a console and everything exists in your mind as a color as an option as a direction but there's no frame of reference so it's like chaos by overwhelming options Mm -hmm. that's you know that's that's insane. you know, like I I for the longest time, I've used one plugin. It's changed over time, but it's one clean EQ. That's it. Everything else I do is analog. Now, having said that, when I got into the Atmos world, and then I got into you know uh, last year after Mom died, I was like, oh, maybe I'll write a song, do something for myself, make make some music, do a composition, something, whatever. And I thought, well, let me let me see what plugins are out there. And of course there's so many and I tried a few and I, I bought a, I, I bought a bundle, you know, I bought like 150 plugins for $700. And it's everything I could ever want, you know? And, and it's like the only reason, however, that I can use those is because I know what those hardware pieces are. Right. I have, I have a frame of reference. So now, you know, I went from one plugin to like, I have like 150 plugins um, on a different computer. It's not for mastering. It's on a different machine, but on a Pro Tools machine. But it's like, wow, that's amazing. But it's amazing for me because I know what to do with it. If somebody was just handed 150 plugins with no experience in hardware and no frame of reference, it, it would be very difficult. You know, like what the, what the hell? You know, what do you do with that? So yeah, the the limitations of previous eras were very helpful that we could build a frame of reference, you know, you could use that boss thing until you were like, okay, I know this thing every way possible. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. do great things with it because ultimately it's not the hardware. It's the,
0: you know, it's you, it's you, you making it great. And the the limitations uh, taught me what to, what to listen out for, you know, really that's what it is. Like knowing, going into those details, uh, I was so happy when like Cool Edit Pro or Cool Edit Blah had the denoising function because right. I was good. <laughs> you know yeah. and and it, but and it's still but it's still still that that trajectory like of like like discovering these little pieces of software that make things better even if there are limitations that has sort of like for a long time been my um uh, like sort of like almost a driving force you know like how can I make this better um and, uh, and I'm, I'm fortunate now that I'm I'm in a position to, like, I still don't have my own studio to record. Like, I when I need a studio, I know, okay, okay, this project or this, 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 yeah, this project gives me a certain vibe. And I want to work with that engineer and with that studio because he has a real reverb chamber or, you know, like, right. and that's, that's, that's how I, how I operate now. Um kind of like the sort of like uh not the opposite of how you work but like you have your uh, you know like because you were well, thinking, I, I, I I mean, like I like when mean, you met that's when, very when you, appropriate yeah, when you mentioned that's appropriate but you being, because you're you're creating when you mentioned your mother that's being appropriate. the interior designer right um I was thinking like it's it's so great how 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 you decorate and let me just say no, not decorate it's not a good word maybe like the, the, the your room is sort of set up such a way that a whole other world, let's say, can arise within it. So it's not the limit that you're kind of like removing sort of the limitation of the listening environment to to give you access to to more worlds than you would have available in this room, for example. Right. And I I, I think that's yeah. that's just, yeah, yeah. It's just a fantastic thing. And, and you yeah, said I mean, you've, been, it's yeah, you've been living in that same place also for, for more than a decade, you said, right, when I was there. So it yeah, well, also just, helps. Just,
1: just 10 years now. Yeah, 10 years now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a different thing, obviously. Mastering rooms need to be really good rooms. and And, but again, good is a subjective word, you know, so everybody's mastering room is very different everybody's mastering chain. If you, if you look at the high end mastering people in the world, I mean that the chains are different, the rooms are different, but, but they are at a, a different quality level than mixed rooms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, so it's a, it's a different thing. I mean, I think what you're doing makes total sense. You're, you're creating something. You're like, let's go here because like, they have a chamber or let's go here. Cause this person is really good at a certain kind of editing or, you know, whatever your yeah, thought yeah, process yeah, may yeah, be.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, that, you know, my, my thing here is that the, the frame of reference is the room. The room is set up both with the equipment, the lighting, the things that you're talking about in terms of the design. It's set up to facilitate, you know, very efficient moments. I mean, I work very quickly. I'm not in, I'm not into sitting here for hours on end. I'm into getting in and out, doing it very quickly, because when people listen to music, they're not going to listen to it for hours on end. They're going to listen to it for 25 seconds. And mm-hmm. then, then maybe they're going to listen for three minutes you know so i want to mirror that i want i want to have fresh ears all the time you know studio life is is different than mastering life studio life you can be in you can be down that rabbit hole my thing is you know you get in and out and you experience it the way that the world is going to experience it um but yeah i mean back to your the other thing it's you know the interesting thing with equipment too is is the limitations are sometimes that's where the Thing is, like, like Marshall amps. You know, as you may know, this old story: Jim Marshall was trying to make the cleanest amplifier possible. Right, <laughs> that was his intention. Right, so he had a very clear intention, which is important. It's important to have a clear intention, but that doesn't mean that once we, and the creative world gets a hold of it, that that's what it's going to be. It may become something very different. You know. <laughs> But the clear intention was good, you know. the 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 boss people had something in mind with that that pedal, you know, and they that was their intent. And then your intent was different, and so the, the clarity of intent is important. The content of the intention kind of doesn't matter because that's the whole fun of creativity. Is like you do something different with
0: it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Brian, you, um, I was going to ask you. Where you think you're going to be going next with your musical life, let's say, and that includes the mastering everything. But I, I, I we also need to mention that you did upgrade your studio for the Atmos uh, mastering. And uh, if you, if you, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about that, what it means, like how many channels you got to do that, and um, that would be fascinating yeah. to hear. Well,
1: it's a it's a big topic.
0: <laughs> Let, <laughs> let's try and keep
1: it simple. Um, so, for those who are not aware, uh, Dolby Atmos is what I would call the evolution of surround. It includes uh, ceiling speakers, so you have all around plus the top, um, and that's been around since like 2012 for theaters. And Apple Music got together with Dolby and. Um, got together with the labels and as of two years ago normalized um, spatial audio uh, which is the Dol- the 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 apple version uh, which i'll explain in a second spatial audio slash dolby atmos became normalized for music releases um, and normalized meaning it might uh, it might be happening with every new project very soon it is happening with many new projects at the moment and then there is back catalog work that's happening um there's obviously a a near infinite amount of music back catalog to deal with um so this format has been met with understandably mixed uh mixed emotions and mixed reviews um the spatial audio phrase that word is um because what apple did was um They did a different kind of a headphone delivery Uh, instead of the 3D encoding, which makes the the space in a headphone, instead of it being baked into the two-channel stereo file, which is what you have with the Dolby Atmos, where the 3D encoding is baked into that two-channel file, and that is the uh, Tidal product and the Amazon Music product. What Apple Music did was something different. They put the spatialization in the hardware. So the AirPod Pro 2, which came out recently, is their most recent version of the spatialization. So there's DSP in the physical hardware. And every time they come out with a new product, that technology will evolve. And so the sound will get better. Um, For example, the next product will be an AirPod Pro, uh, sorry, an AirPod Max. It'll be an over-ear Probably, I mean, I'm not Apple, but it'll probably be an over-ear, which will be an upgrade over the previous Apple Max, um, and 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 maybe even an upgrade over the AirPod Pro 2, which currently is actually quite good. And you know, I, I sound like I'm shilling for Apple, but for 200 bucks, the AirPod Pro 2 is a real winner of a product, and it gives me hope for the format for the future because I I was a little skeptical on Apple based on mastered for iTunes, which is total bullshit in my view sounds pretty awful. Uh it's a very cold codec that takes a little bit of the tail of low end out, it makes everything sound like a cheesy wedding band because the groove kind of <laughs> dissipates, you know, the kick drum and the bass kind of everything gets a little snappier, you know, because there's a little cutoff from master fry tunes, but I think that is becoming passé technology. Uh similar to MQA, which we won't get into, which is hopefully dead, passé technology, another bullshit invention. Um, but so back to Spatial Audio and, and Dolby Atmos, which I refer to as Spatial Audio slash Dolby Atmos, um, this this has been met with somewhat mixed reviews, partly because, you know, Apple is our sort of corporate lord and savior. It's like the biggest company in the world. And Apple put it on the labels, if you will. The labels are putting it on artists. And so that's a that's a messed up structure. It's not artist driven. And that's, that's unfortunate because the artists are not well-informed and they maybe don't care or maybe feel put out. Um, and then the labels are actually in, not in charge for once. You know, they're sort of being put out by Apple. So there's there's some resistance there, which makes it messy. Um, there was some money trading hands from Apple to the labels to kind of get product. I don't know if that's still happening, but that was definitely happening for a while. I wish I knew if that was happening, but I can't. I can't say definitively. I've asked and nobody's telling me. Um, it may be drying up, but there was initial money coming from Apple to help populate the the bin, if you will. Um, and when when we get to what it really is about, to me, it's really about a better headphone product. The, the speaker element of Dolby Atmos is super fun, and I've got 714 here, which means seven, one sub, and four in the ceiling, two front, two back. 714 is kind of the minimum requirement uh, in, in in most people's view if you're going to do speakers. But speakers are, you know, it's generally like uh, rich white guys listen to surround on speakers, right? It's not really a mainstream thing. Um, but the mainstream thing is the headphone product. And the headphone evolution here is quite huge if it's done well. Now, if it's done well, um, isn't really happening too much. But I've evolved techniques here uh, since my mom passed last year. I, I really, uh, I was already pretty far down the rabbit hole. I'd built the studio and I developed a lot of techniques and spent a lot of time on it. and uh, And then I just spent more time on it. And now I feel very comfortable and very confident uh, with any project that might come in that i know that i can take it to you know kind of the highest level you know what's interesting about the format is that um the the artist isn't driving the train and so that's that's not good (laughs) you know over if we make if we make two little visual mountains here over in the stereo mountain you know we know we know what great work sounds like we know what good mixes sound like we know what demos sound like we have a sense or a frame of reference if you will about the world of stereo and so an artist may say you know to to a a business entity or their own accountant or their own pocketbook they may say i want to spend 50 bucks on the song and the and the label entity or their own uh, pocketbook says well we have 20 and they work it out for 35 and 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 then they're they're happy with that But the reason they're happy is that that we have a frame of reference we have this massive recorded history of music and we know what's good we know what's good right we're like okay i'm happy so the artist can always have an approval there over here on spatial audio atmos there is this mountaintop that's maybe even a higher mountain and and most of the releases are somewhere in the middle a few of them are kind of up here but there's not a lot happening at the mountaintop and the artist has no sense of any of this, right? So if the artist is involved, they're just listening and they're like, uh, maybe I like it. Maybe I don't, you know, we're halfway up the mountain. They have no idea what the mountain is like. They say, Hey, can you tweak these three things? They get tweaked. So it, it went from mediocre to mediocre plus it gets released and that that whole structure is not particularly healthy for good quality product. Um, and that's unfortunately the world we're in at the moment Um, and over time you know i'm uh, i'm hopeful that that will improve because this technology is the 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 full evolution of surround and it's also a huge step forward in terms of headphone audio you know the 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 headphone was never (laughs) intended to be a great experience right it was like you know somebody put two speakers on a wire and stuck it on the side of our heads and we're like yeah headphones are great you know this was this was never meant to be any resemblance of a studio experience with phantom center um you know those of us who know studios you know if you've got phantom center in a pair of stereo speakers with a beautiful image you know you're listening to music in stereo in the 0.0001% of humans on earth. Like that is a very rare thing. Most people think of stereo as just, you know, the car has speakers and like there's no there's no sense of the phantom center, there's no sense of the full image. And so stereo listening is really not enjoyed by the population, the general population in in the beautiful ways that it is for those of us who are in studios enter spatial audio atmos on a $200 AirPod Pro 2 or on any uh, wired headphone, you can really put the average person into a studio experience, something that doesn't happen with a normal headphone. The normal headphone is is still very, it's very much a phase coherent thing, phase meaning, Uh, it doesn't have the dsp smear of this format which is something we could talk about if you want that's kind of getting into the depths of it but but it's not a very compelling musical image right because there's there's just like this third eye center channel of you know in pop music kick snare bass vocal whatever um it's a weird thing we accept headphones but headphones kind of sucks you know if i've never been into headphones For 20 years, since I was, you know, 25 years since I was working in studios, because it's a big letdown. You know, you don't have the beautiful phantom center, you don't have that full image. So with spatial audio Atmos, you're really putting people in rooms. Um, Now, now, are the headphones, whether it be the AirPod Pro 2 or uh, the Dolby Atmos uh, hardwired? You know, is it giving you exactly the 714? No, we're not there yet. But to me, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to do that right now. It 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 does put people into rooms with phantom center, and it's got more dynamics, which is intrinsically good. Um, and so it is a it is a it is a technical evolution and also a musical evolution if it's done right. So if we come back to that, the shortcoming of the format is, I guess we're going there because I just keep talking. Mm-hmm. The the DSP is <laughs> used to create this big space has a inherent phase problem in it phase problem meaning it's keeping things in the center kick bass lead vocal and pop it's keeping these things from being punchy and immediate and that is a problem because that's actually the 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 wonderful beauty of stereo headphones the stuff that's panned down the middle is super punchy and tight it's all it's all right here kind of in your imaginary it's in your brain it's at your third eye it's not it it doesn't sound like it's coming from in front of you like it does like it does when you're in a studio but it's really punchy and tight and solid so when we switch from stereo to spatial the standard that i have and i believe the standard of the format going forward has to be that it's better than the stereo headphone. And in order to do that, we have to get the punch of the center right. Otherwise, that's going to be an immediate disappointment. And that's what people are hearing because most of what's out there just kind of sucks. It's not punchy down the center. It's it's not cohesive. You know, there's there's basically three categories of problem with spatial if I was going to be real general. It's not cohesive, which is like music in a blender. It doesn't have the right kind of harmonic content, meaning sort of feels like a demo. Doesn't have enough color because it's not going through two bus processing. It's not going through mastering processing. Um, and then the thing I keep saying, it doesn't have center punch and power, bass, um, you know, uh, vocal, snare drum, kick drum. You know those things when you're a being with stereo which is very easy to do on a, on a on an iPhone um, you can just switch between the two and the volume might need a little tweak but when you're a being it needs to be better and if it's not better it's like what the F are we doing here like why are we messing with this so so my thing was to I saw early on uh you know over two years ago I guess uh I saw how to do it and I set out to do the thing that I imagined would work. And that thing, uh, back to your original question, includes, uh, technically speaking, um, having a great room, uh, really wonderful speakers that are an extension of my mains. Uh, I use Evolution Acoustics uh, mains, the MM3, and then I use Evolution Acoustics uh, micros. And... So I've I've used those, but but moreover, I use the trinoff box. The trinoff for the French company really allows, you know, you just kind of press the button and five minutes later you're in an amazing Atmos room. And that's that's my biggest recommendation for anyone who does these rooms is is uh get a trinoff. Um and and I've tuned mine in a unique way, which is I've tuned it to mirror my mains. So instead of a flat line response, which is kind of what it innately wants to do. Uh, I've tuned it to, to mirror the frequency curve that I'm used to. So when I go from stereo with no trend off to spatial Atmos in the Atmos room, I, my mains in the front don't change and the whole room sounds like I'm used to. So the learning curve for me is shortened by doing that. Uh, I'm in a familiar uh, sort of you know frequency space. Um, And then for for processing, I've got at the moment 50, I may add 10 more at some point, I could do 60 total with the hardware setup, Uh, three HDX cards, but I have 50 custom-made transformer color-heavy Class A discrete uh, EQs. They're 500 series EQs, and um, they have high-low shelving, uh, which I don't use much, they're a quarter dB step um, back EQs. And, and and just a heavy, kind of like a it's a Jensen. It's kind of an API-ish. You know, it's it's a it's a custom colored transformer. And that to me is what was needed to put as an insert on all of these objects because it's an object-based format. It doesn't get summed. So by putting that hardware on every object within a project, uh, hopefully every object. If it goes over fifty, you know, I go to plugins. But putting that hardware in there was a, was a big component. And then learning the skills to get the center punch and power was the other component. And so those, those two things are, are what I do here. And, and, and what you've heard when I showed you here, when you heard stuff and, and, and did the, did the project for you. I mean, that's what you're hearing. It's that, it's that ability to take this spatial audio Atmos format to to that mountaintop. Like I, I I figured out what that is. I know what that is. And and the same way with stereo, I know what that is. And that, that that at first it was, you know, really daunting, but it feels really good now to to have sort of figured that out and be comfortable with doing it for any project, you know. Um so that was the long answer. But that mm. is my short answer on <laughs> spatial audio and Dolby Atmos mastering.
0: Yeah, incredible. Um you see, like that, that that basically answers, I guess, most of my questions uh, that I would have had before I I met you. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> okay. so, but like, like, what is what is sort of like the in, the interesting uh, uh, thing to me is, as you said, like you don't really you don't have the process of uh, sort of like um, bussing things in that, like, so there is no no stereo master bus or uh, so, like, the question really is, sort of, like, where? So, where does the the, the summing happen now? It, ha- it like, you said, okay, it's the it's the the hardware. It's in the ears, where you know, in the case of these guys, where where the translation sort of like is being calculated, and then, obviously, it's it's the it's my my hearing, my ears, my brain, kind of like organizing these objects. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's obvious like that what you do works, uh, to me at least, because you're sort of like, not emulating, you're actually putting all the signals into this sort of like the same world by having them go through a, a piece of hardware that tries to kind of like, bring you know, like, like act as a summing, even though it's not summing but it's sort of like creating a a, a common environment
1: yes a yes the, the, transform, the, tree and the transformer color you know transformers have interesting qualities there's harmonic co- content there's glue there's some compression there's interesting things that happen and it's a it's a it's a subtle thing but it's really what's needed otherwise the format tends to sound like music in a blender um you know mu- music in a blender that doesn't have quite the right harmonic content you know tra- the the thing that plugins can't do is is transformers it just can't be done and high shelf boosting is very difficult also uh and so the 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 transformers here do a lot of things that i can't get with a plugin. yeah it's just it's sort of like running it through my chain it's like as soon as the transformers are involved it's like okay that's like a big step one now let's work on the power let's compare it to the stereo Let's do all the other elements that are required. Let's do the technical elements. Let's check the low end. Let's check, you know, let's check all the speakers for low end cutoff and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's like step one is like, get that transformer color in there. That was, that was my initial idea that that's what the format really needed. And then from there it was evolving the techniques that are the techniques of mastering in this format, which is, you know, this, this whole other thing. It's a whole different, it's a whole different thing. It's a very different and interesting world. You know, it's a, it's a different challenge. It has whole different strategies. You know, there's different EQing things that I do. You know, frequencies I would never touch in stereo mastering are the ones I focus on in this world. You know, like, it's very interesting. It's a whole different thing.
0: So is, is this whole uh world of, of loudness, of perceived loudness, actually relevant in the Atmos mastering? Well, the, one of the... Not not
1: so much. Not I mean not so much. The the beauty of the format is that there is a hard limit on what they will release. So you know what they ask for is a minus eighteen. Uh, if you have the Dolby renderer, there's a little you know thing you have to you run the whole song, you get an integrated left of minus eighteen. Now that's a different minus eighteen than stereo, so don't equate those. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, assuming that your true peak isn't over I think minus one um, you know they're gonna they're gonna bump that up. I think they bump it to minus 16 if I'm correct but mm-hmm. but those are rabbit hole details. Um, I'm, the, the main thing is that I'm trying to say is y- you can't just slam it crazy. Now you can compress but there's still a limit and the the, the cool thing about the format is it's really easy to make it too loud. Like in the beginning, you know, like three years ago, people were saying, oh, it's, you know, it's super dynamic and that's awesome. And I'm like, okay, I like dynamics, but I don't think of, I'm not dogmatic about dynamics. Dynamics are good. Like I would never say that. Like, yeah, dynamics can be good, but maybe not. You know, it's dynamics are just another musical tool. Um, But what I found with this format is it's very easy to over, you can over compress it. In the same way, you can overdo it in stereo. So I think they—the point being—I'm not saying it very well, but I think they picked the right number in terms of what they're looking for for a release. And it is a—it is ultimately a more dynamic format than stereo. You know, it has—it has. It ha- if stereo is a 180, you know, 180 in the front, this is 180 in the back, 180 in the front, and 180 on top. So it's triple the canvas size from the DSP. And dynamically, I think of it as being double the dynamics, which is, you know, significant. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. still You can still, you can press and you can get things colorful and cool just just fine. Just It's not an anemic format. It's anemic, what most of the releases are done, it's very anemic. But I mean, if you do it right, it, it works out really well,
0: you know. Wonderful. So, what, what's your what's your if you have one like your future vision for for this format and also like the like how do you think listening and um, yeah, how how can or how will it evolve? Do you have any idea about that? Like the well, uh, I mean, the, I mean my my sense of it is that
1: well, let's 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 start with this. If I could put the skills that I have here in the hands of everyone working in this format and combine my skills with whatever skills they currently have, if all engineers had a combination of their skills currently and the skills I have here, and if they had the hardware that I have here, if all of the releases were done in that way, this format would be an absolute home run. It would be killing people with just excitement. People would be overwhelmed because when it's done well, it's fucking amazing, and it does make stereo headphones seem kind of broken, mm-hmm. like, like outdated, like weird.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're not there. <laughs> we're nowhere. We're nowhere near there. Um, that's where I see it going. I see it being. Um, the evolution of not just surround of which it is because it's a streamable format that can work with any speaker configuration, any headphone, etc. Not not only is it completely agnostic in terms of playback configuration, which is great, which makes it able to be ubiquitous in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only is that happening, but if it was really done well, then it would really make stereo delivery for headphone not a thing. Now, does that mean stereo goes away? Absolutely not. There's no, there's no contest here. There's no polarity between spatial and stereo. Stereo is here to stay. You know, stereo is amazing, and stereo is a really important reference for working in this format. But if we, you know, are like when I'm working here, I I picture a triangle speakers, Apple Dolby, or maybe it's Apple. Speakers, Dolby, whatever. And, and in the middle of the triangle is, is the stereo. And so I'm referencing the stereo and triangulating all three things. And as you work on this one, these get better. You work on this one, these get better. Da, 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 da. And it gets to a point where you're like, okay, this is it. This is, this is the top of this mountain. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's done. And, and if everybody was hearing that on all these releases, you wouldn't want to listen to stereo headphones. You just, you wouldn't. There's no, there's no point. It's so it's an objectively better format when it's done well. We're just not at the point where it's consistently done at the high watermark, you know? Yeah. Uh, And so it's, it's very much met with a like, well, it's good for this style, but not that style. Or, well, I like this, but I don't like that. Or, you know, there's all of these things that people say and people think and i and i understand that because i went through all those i went I, you know, I, I went through the evolution of i was i was very resistant at first you know i was like oh fucking apple okay you're like you're ruining everything you know thank you apple you're, you're stepping on our beautiful stereo world that's very nicely evolved and you're ruining everything so i kind of started with that and then you know just got open-minded to it and investigated it and went down the rabbit hole and figured out what was wrong with this rabbit hole, what needed to be better, how to make it better. And so, you know, if, if people were really doing that and hearing that, it would be a home run and it would be really a wonderful thing. So I, I hope that that's the future. I, th- I think it is eventually. It's a question of time. It could take 10 years. Who knows? Who knows how long it will take? Uh, at the moment, we're in the era of, you know, how how... How cheaply can we do it if we're a label, you know? Mm-hmm. And and the artist is not informed, and there's all these things that need to evolve. The artists, the main thing is artists need to be informed. Artists need to learn, like like you did when you were here. You 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 heard things, and you were like, oh, well, well, you mm-hmm. tell me what was what was your experience
0: before and after you you
1: heard things here.
0: It, it's you know my my. Um prior experience with surround formats was that they were not stable. That's how I would, I would describe it. Like the listening and listening environment. um, Like you would say they, they you know, things weren't well done. Like when I, when I remember listening to uh, what was it, Depeche Mode, Sounds of the Universe, surround mix, when was that 2008 or something? That was like one of the few mixes that I liked because I could be anywhere in the room, I wouldn't have to be sitting, you know, still in one position and enjoy to be able to enjoy the music, right? So, what that means now, like where you know, the way that I am starting to try to sell the idea of, of Dolby Atmos to people is that is primarily a headphone format with like yes. relatively relatively affordable hardware. So, so it's not like as you said, it's not for old white men. Uh, you know, having a big setup right. at home, like anybody can listen to that and can have the experience of the 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 the, 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 the spaciousness of that. Is like as you said, like when I on the, the string quartet that we worked on together, for example, if I go back to the stereo mixes, like yeah. A and Bing them, you know, the, the Dolby and the, the Dolby Atmos and the stereo. What happens is that the stereo sounds great. Like that for me, the sound quality of the stereo is great. But I suddenly become aware of my, my brain generating sort of like the the center. Like I it's it really, right. it's really, it was it was really like a very and that was like the most like the most uh important thing I heard in your studio was and and when you showed me the the um the airpods, you know. Like what what happened was that. Like suddenly I became aware of what was actually happening as I was listening to music somehow. And it's really, it's really interesting because I'm a very experienced listener for 50 years of my life. Right. Uh, and, and right. so suddenly, 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 something, something comes along where I say, this is actually, it doesn't just feel like it may be an alternative way of listening to music. It's something that is as valid as what I've heard before. And maybe as you say, if done well it's it's very very exciting and and that that was what was coming across for me um in your studio and now that's also like my reference when i start mixing uh stuff in dolby atmos to see how can i how can i kind of like capture that you know so but yeah. i had to i had yeah. to have that experience in your studio though to really understand right you know?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like people need to have that experience. They need to kind of be shown and and then once you see it, it's like you can't turn it off. Like you can't you can't turn off the fact that you've realized that when you listen to stereo, you, your brain is making this image that's not really there.
0: Yes, exactly. And,
1: and and then when you when you listen to the actual spatial thing, you're like, "Oh, it's all there." You know. Yes. Um yeah, and and that's uh yeah. So, well that's that's yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, and it it's it, it it was presented by Dolby in a complicated way, right? Like they they came they came sort of begging for adoption. So you know they put the beds in there, like, hey, there's beds. Uh, that's familiar. Don't be scared. It's not just this new object based thing. There's beds. Uh, don't you know? <laughs> come use our thing. Look beds. You know, come children. Have some cookies. You know. Um, <laughs> And so like the beds are fine you can use the beds but it's not necessary right it's an object based format meaning singular objects that can go anywhere and then they also came with the idea of like oh doesn't need mastering doesn't need mastering which to their credit they don't know how to mix or master they sell technology so you know that that's a bit of a it's a bit of a hurdle at the moment because it, it, it you know go to the labels like hey you don't need to have two people involved you can just have one person you know yeah. um but i sort of flip that on the on on the head at this point i'm you know i sort of joke i'm like actually it doesn't need mixing yeah it, it needs mastering you know so the the mixing is already done in stereo mm-hmm. stereo is mixing so you just make a bunch of stems and you send you know somebody sends me stems i throw the stems up that takes like 10 minutes that's mixing in atmos it's just putting the stems in the sound field and then the mastering begins which is like really refining that thing and, and in, a, in an environment with great speakers great you know uh, two two different kinds of headphones a um, a Dolby thing that's a, an in-ear thing that I use it's a silicon microdriver and obviously the Apple product that you have which everyone can buy so from a mixing standpoint you've already done the mix in stereo that's the beauty of this the, the future that I see is the stereo doesn't have to go away we don't want it to because the mixing happens in stereo you know we don't we don't want to mix everything in Atmos from scratch and then fold down to two speakers and make vinyl. That's a disaster. You know, we don't want to fold down to two speakers and play it at the mall. I mean, you can do that, but it's really better to to take all we know about stereo, keep that momentum going, and then make a bunch of stems from that Put it in this different sound field. Do the technical things that need to be done to maximize this new thing, and then you've got amazing stereo and you've got amazing spatial atmos at the same time. So that's you know back to the question. I mean, that's the future. I see. and in that regard, Logic Pro two hundred bucks, EarPod Pro two hundred bucks, four hundred dollars. are anybody is is mixing and ready to send me stems. You know, yes.
0: Or, or in, full in a, mixes. I mean, yeah. and in a way that it's even funny for me to say that. It's it really is no different than going from mono to stereo. In a way, yes. In if, in if, in a way. If, if, but Although if, we're not you know,
1: replacing, we're not I, replacing I, mono. We're not but, replacing it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: But it's it's sort of like but, uh, but
0: it's the, it's it's the the wonderful thing is that I I really see that it can finally we are in a in a situation where it can actually be the thing that stays doesn't go away like all the other attempts at surround sound right yes
1: no i i i i believe it is that thing and that's why i i've gone into it you know i think this is this is the evolution of surround you know yeah It's, it's 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 agnostically streamable to all delivery and 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 the, the our corporate Lord and Savior Apple Music, the biggest company in the world, is 100 percent on board. Um, and and there's a I, ha, I have it on pretty good pretty good inside information. There's a gentleman that used to be at Avid, and then he went to Dolby for Atmos, and now he's at Apple. And so you know there's there's kind of the evolution of the technology there. And there's there's a real commitment from Apple. They don't do things short sighted or half assed. So um, you know, everything points to it going nowhere. It's just a question of how do we make it better? Mm-hmm. And so there's different levels of resistance and there's different skills. And, you know, that's going to take some time to work through. But in the meantime, you know, anybody can make a bunch of stems and send them over or get logic pro and make their own mix. It's, it's, it, there's, there's not a huge barrier to, to getting involved here. You know, and it was, and it can be presented to be very complex. It can seem really overwhelming because it is technically quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But once you kind of see that, it's like, oh, it's actually really easy. I mean, the I've 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 told a couple of mixers who have like no experience, medium experience, and great experience my st- you know, sort of stem technique for making stems to to fill the field, and in an hour to ninety minutes all three skill levels of people are are doing great things. And then I take it from there and then it ends up great. So it doesn't have to be this huge, overwhelming thing. Um, I think that tends to make not the best product because then you end up with this kind of floaty fishbowl of sound in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what, um, like, most of the, you know, like when I started listening to 5.1, like most of the stuff just didn't work because it felt as if people had no idea. What, well, and how could they have any idea what the listening environment, my listening environment, would be? And right. and that's 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 why. Again, I think the you know thinking of it as uh, you know spatial audio as so primarily a headphone format is really going to help uh, push that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better better than stereo and headphones and consistently deliverable, you know, at all price points to everybody in the world. You know, I think that's the only
0: reason to do it, is that it is the evolution of of headphones. Yeah, and you know, people or music is not being presented in movie theaters. Like if it would be, maybe people would have caught on, you know, much quicker to the idea of how great it can be. Like you all you hear is is sound effects and some I, right. I don't, I don't, I don't know because I have never experienced it. But like, would that? Well, how, I, would, I, how
1: would something I, I like that I did, a, I did a, well, it well. It would sound great. I mean, the stuff I've done here—if you stick it in a Dolby theater, it would sound amazing because it would mm-hmm. still have the center punch and power. But mm-hmm. but music for theater is a, is a different animal. Uh, it's it's interesting because there's a parallel, but it's it's totally different. Music for theater is all about the dialogue, and then the sound effects are about spaciousness, and in mm-hmm. in music not music for film, but music music, it's all about center power as being the thing that's the thing you weren't hearing in one back in the day. You're not getting this latchable center power identity. The emotional connection of music is everything that was existing in mono. and It's mm-hmm. everything panned down the middle in stereo. And it's still the stuff that's down the middle, although the middle can be front to back in this new format. So we've gone from mono to stereo to something bigger, but still it's the stuff down the middle that is the emotional connection and the rhythmic physical connection of music. So when you're in a cinema, music can be this floaty thing because you have the dialogue to ground you down the middle. But with music, there is no dialogue down the middle. There's the groove, there's the kick snare bass, there's the vocal, there's the there's that stuff. So it is kind of a parallel, but it is actually a totally different world. So film film music doesn't have to doesn't have to do this kind of center punch and power stuff. It doesn't have to do cohesion in the same way that music has to do cohesion in this format. Without cohesion, it's just a floaty swimming pool mess. And that's <laughs> most of what's out there. You know, nobody yeah. nobody wants that. Nobody wants to hear that. It's it's like you said it's very disconcerting. You're like what the hell's going on? You know, music is about a very grounded emotional connection. The grounding is the Africa, the the emotion, you know, that we can do like chakras. You know, you've got to all the chakras have to hit and they all have to hit down the middle of the mix. It yeah. just so happens in this format that the middle isn't on a flat plane in front of you. The middle is going all through the room. And mm-hmm. if and if that but if that middle is solid all through the room, then everything else is a bonus. And and the headphone back to your point, gives the consistency. You know, the AirPod Pro 2 or whatever follows it or, you know, Dolby products, uh, Tidal, Amazon Music on whatever headphones, you know, that's giving us the consistency. So, so we know what the delivery is going to be. It's going to be speakers, Apple, Dolby. So we can tune things to work with that center power and punch that do all the things that we get from stereo, but it can do them bigger and better with more dynamics.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful, and man, I think I think it's that's enough for today or tonight for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably I, I mean, probably I would, good. We would love to to talk to you about other things as well at some point, but this is. Uh, I'm, this I has think been I'm great. on.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm on. I'm on one percent on my phone, so we should yes. say goodbye.
0: <laughs> we say goodbye.
1: I will. think All right. Talk, thank you talk so much, again.
0: Brian. Talk soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for this. Bye.